Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Matthew Stewart, Director in the Economics and Financial Advisory Group of Deloitte Canada, with over 20 years of economic forecasting experience, about a new report, The Turning Point. So welcome to the interview, Matthew. Great. Uh, thanks for having me. Now, I'm really interested in this because for a number of years now at Energy Media, uh, we have been talking about how climate change and the energy transition are basically two sides of the same coin. I mean, the whole point of, of the, the, climate, uh, the climate change argument is to use fewer fossil fuels to transition to different types of energy. So that makes perfect sense. But there's also a lot of emphasis there has been in the past on risk mitigation. How do we, you know, lower the, uh, the uh, how do we achieve 1.5 C warming by the, the end of the century? Uh, and not so much op- uh, a focus on the opportunities that come along with it. And y- your report is squarely about opportunities, or at least that's a big part of it. Have I got that correct? Yeah, I think this is one of the first reports that looks at the, how the economy will perform in a scenario where we actually achieve our, our uh, re- climate uh, reduction targets, and then we compare that to one where we we continue on as the status quo. So it's I think it's really the first report where we've been able to compare those two scenarios uh, and see how the economies perform. Now you're an economist, and uh, I assume that uh, as a for- if you're doing economic forecasts, you must be doing economic modeling. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the modeling that went into this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, what, basically what we do is we look at the uh, potential output of each of the economies under each of these two scenarios. So we, we look at, you know, the value of the land, uh, the damages from, from climate change, and then we can look at how these economies would perform as these, so these assets are impacted by, by climate change. And we did that for a number of countries around the world, and we basically could, could measure, uh, you know, what's the likely path of, of these economies uh, under these, these two scenarios. So uh, let's take Canada, for example, where you and I both live. Uh, if temperatures go up and we have uh, drought, say in Western Canada, where a lot of can- uh, Canada's agriculture takes place, then grain farmers, for instance, would be negatively affected. That, that's the kind of conclusions you would come to? Yeah, absolutely. We look at it, uh, the damage to land, uh, the output from farming, um, we look at, uh, you know, impacts on, on productivity, and then we can get a good sense around, you know, what the, the impact potential output might be to higher uh, temperatures. Right. So you're essentially making the economic argument that allowing, if, if humankind allows uh, temperatures to rise by three degrees C, then the economy suffers. But if we get to, if we achieve 1.5 C, which is the goal, that's actually really good for economic for the economy. Yeah, 
in the long term, uh, we actually found that we're better off. So when you look at the entire globe, uh, we found that the damages from hitting 3C, uh, like you mentioned, is $178 trillion. So when we did this type of modeling, we found that, uh, you know, in the short term, uh, we're worse off by making these adjustments because it, it does cost, you know, a substantial amount of money uh, to make the investments required to reduce our temperatures. But in the long term, uh, you know, we hit a point where this starts to pay off. And then by, by 2070, which was the point that we looked at in our, our modeling, we're actually found that we're better off uh, in the scenario where we make these, these type of investments. Now, I've talked to think tanks about this, uh, people like uh, uh, Nafiz Ahmed at Rethink, it, Rethink X. And I, I, I see economists on Twitter kind of poo-pooing that, you know, analysis from those kinds of think tanks. So when I saw your report, the first thing that sprang to mind was, oh, look, if the one of the big accounting firms, the global accounting firms uh, has come up with this, uh, done the analysis, come up with this conclusion. Okay, it, this has got to be pretty mainstream now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we're starting to see, you know, more and more of this type of analysis. Uh, you know, we've seen in Canada, the central bank has, has begun doing this type of work as well. And, you know, I think this, this is something that has been required for quite a while. We actually model the potential output when we make these adjustments and we can actually compare it to the costs of, of these investments. Because, you know, one of the things that our work found is that the size of these investments are, are pretty incredible. You know, we we're talking in for Canada uh, to, you know, hit our, our commitments with the, in line with the Paris commitment, we're talking in the range of about $150 billion a year to, to fully make that, that transition. So these are sizable investments. So it makes sense to compare that versus the benefits, uh, you know, down the road. And th this is this is really uh, revolutionary work, I think. Now, Matthew, um, a couple of months ago, I interviewed Professor Werner Antweiler, who's an economist at the University of British Columbia, and we were talking about global disruption. You know, um, uh, Schumpeter's uh, long waves of innovation, that that sort of thing. And the point that that he made is that the, the old industrial, we'll call it the 20th century economy, is coming to an end. And we're really now beginning to build this 21st century economy that's going to be built on new sources of energy, you know, like, or like clean electricity and low carbon uh, fuels like hydrogen. And we're going to be, you know, uh, how, we ship, uh, how we ship things, how we, how we get around is going to be different. And it's, and the developed nations are busy getting ready and competing. You know, they understand uh, Canada. I, I interviewed um, Jonathan Wilkinson, uh, the Canadian Natural Resources Minister last week, and he said they get it. You know, they're, they're, this is all about investing in the, uh, what the IEA calls the emerging clean economy. And, and in your report, uh, it, you say very clearly the business community gets it. You know, I, I think they, they get it more and more. Like we're starting to see ESG investment become uh, an increasing priority across, you know, across Canada and across the globe, uh, where investors are, are specifically considering ESG in their, in their investment decisions. And we're seeing it on the industry side as well, where they're, they're increasingly taking an ESG approach. Um, you know, when I think, I do think that we're going to have to have, uh, you know, substantial change in our industries. Like when you look at Canada's emissions, the top, top emissions, are oil and gas and transportation. And there's no doubt that we're gonna to have to see, you know, large scale changes in those, those industries. 
And, uh, you know, in our own modeling, um, you know, we found that a lot of the investment will, will help, uh, help those industries, but even still, we're going to have to see some, uh, some reductions in output in, in those particular industries. Right. So my takeaway from this is that on the one hand, we do have to invest in helping some of these industries adapt. I mean, the the oil and gas industry is, I mean, that's Canada's top export. It's about $100 billion a year, give or take. It's a third, it's not only is it number one, it's a third bigger than autos, which is number two. And you can't just shut down your export industry, biggest export industry overnight without some big repercussions. So we have to invest money in helping them adapt to this low carbon future. We're going to have to spend money, that, you know, uh, adopting uh, uh, low carbon transportation, zero emission transportation, light, medium and duty, heavy duty. But it's the other side of that, the seizing of the opportunities in investing in battery plants investing in electric vehicle manufacturing in Ontario, investing in wind and solar in Alberta. That seems to be the part where we're slowly getting it, but given uh, compared to other jurisdictions like China, Europe, and the United States, we're not getting it quite as to quite the same extent as, uh, as those other regions. That's, that's my take on it. What's your take? You know, I, I think investment's a general problem across the Canadian, the Canadian economy. When we, when we interview firms, particularly on this type of investment, you know, I think there's a couple of things that are holding them up. You know, one is they're, they're not 100% sure of the policy environment. So they're not completely willing to commit this type of investment yet. And I, I think they're taking a bit of a wait and see just to make sure that, uh, you know, they don't end up with stranded assets in these, these type of industries. You know, when we looked at the size of these investments, like, it's a sizable investment that we're that we're going to have to make to hit our Paris commitments, and like I mentioned before, it's in the range of 150 billion dollars a year. Uh, you know, that's that's a substantial portion of Canada's total investment, uh, and some of the things that you mentioned uh, are, will be are be required, like electrical charging station infrastructure. Uh, we've got to change to electric heat in our buildings, uh, away from natural gas if we're going to hit our targets. Um, you know, invest in hydrogen, all of these things are going to require substantial investments over the next number of years. Now, I want to read a, a short quote from uh, the Deloitte Global CEO, Puneet Renjan, and here it goes. Quote, we call for a change in mindset, building for opportunity, not catastrophe. We recognize the needed investments in technology and people that build human and planetary prosperity. And changing mindset, that seems to speak directly to the, you know, the last uh, question uh, about, you know, where Canadians are, Canadian investors are putting their capital, where businesses are investing and, and so on. And, but it's what stood out for me in that quote was to build like planetary prosperity. There's a very good argument, I think, and this is Rethink X makes it and, and some of these other think tanks make it which is that if we do this right, if we make the right decisions and we invest in all this technology, then we can, it's actually almost like a, it's like a step forward, a great leap forward for humankind because we'll be more prosperous, we'll be more environmentally friendly, we'll be, our, we'll be more in, in uh, we'll resolve many of the, the environmental problems, the climate issues that we've got. And is that kind of what this report speaks to? Is that, I know it does it, you know, from a, an, an economist point of view, but is that the opportunity here is to build is this is like sort of post-war 
you know, after World War II, when we built the industrial economy, and it was a great leap forward for many people in terms of, of income and opportunity. And is that the opportunity? Yeah, you know, I, when we, we talk about making the investments required to hit our, our Paris commitments, you know, a lot of the, the feedback that I, that we, I tended to hear is, oh, this is so expensive. Uh, you know, this, this, these are incredible costs. And I think this paper, you know, it's one of the first that actually looks at, you know, what's going to happen to the economy if we do, if we do fail to make that, uh, those commitments. And it found that the global GDP would be 8% weaker uh, in 2070 than it would if we did manage to hit the 1.5% the temperature reduction uh, or temperature increase. So, you know, it's one of the first pieces that shows the damages uh, across the globe. And Canada is on the smaller side of the damages, but we, we, do, we are a trading nation and we depend heavily on trade with our, our, our largest trading partners. And some of those are gonna be hit substantially. So if, if we don't become part of the solution, uh, it's, it's pretty clear from our work that Canada will be weaker in, in 2070. Well, let's talk about uh, some nations outside uh, North America. Uh, one of the points that your report makes is that there are human costs in addition to the economic costs. So we're talking about a lack of food and water, a loss of jobs, worsening health and well-being, reduced standard of living. That's that's a big risk. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, you know, one of the things that we've seen already uh, with, you know, the Ukraine-Russia war is the you know, rising food costs and and shortages of particularly wheat. Uh, I think is as, as we continue to see some of these climate disasters and rising food prices, will continue to this will become more and more of a challenge if we don't begin to address this uh, across the globe. I want to read another quote from the from the study. The need for action has never been clear. The question that before us now is how do we pivot from awareness to action? Transitions are necessary, though never easy. This truth is written into the DNA of the business community. It is this recognition by business which is now driving the transformative shifts required to address climate change. And if you look at uh, energy transition theory, there comes a point on the S-curve of all of those new technologies, those new energy technologies, where they become competitive, and it is now the market driving change. It's consumers want, the, the consumers want EVs. They don't want internal combustion engine cars. They want heat pumps. They don't want gas furnaces. Investors want to put their money into, into these new emerging industries where they get a higher a return. Are we at that point now where it's really capital and markets and so on that are driving it, not just policy? So, you know, I think a couple of things on that. I, I think we are at a point of transition and it, it is going to be expensive. And I think that's one of the, the conversations that we have to have with Canadians is that, you know, that this is going to be challenging. There is going to be cost to this uh, and our economy is going to be weaker in the, in the short term. But these are investments that we're making uh, for the long term. And then that... As these investments begin to pay off, uh, we'll, we will have a better economy. And one of the things that we also found is the quicker that we move, uh, the better Canada can take advantage of some of this, these transitions. Uh, the longer we wait, the, the larger the transition cost is. And the, the reason, what I mean by that is, as we develop these technologies, we can sell it around the world to our, our trading partners and we can, we can do much better than if we wait towards the last minute to make some of these adjustments. 
Now, that's a really interesting argument because there, I hear it all the time from some in the business community that Canada is better off rather than leading, like being a, an innovator or early adopter to use Everett Rogers' uh, 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 technology cycle uh, adoption, uh, technology adoption cycle uh, language, we should be laggards or late majority adopters. So let others take the risk, let others de-risk these technologies, and then we come along and adopt them when they're, you know, they're the most economic uh, and we save money and we become more efficient that way. But you're arguing the exact opposite, that early movers, the innovators and the early adopters are actually those are the ones that'll thrive in a transition. I, I think the, the globe is going this direction. Like, I think it's pretty clear about the, the size of the damages if we do nothing. And I think the earlier that we can invest in some of these technologies, uh, the, the easier it is going to be for us to sell these around the world. Like, these are, these are expensive technologies that need to be developed. And, and Canada can really be a leader in some of these technologies, like uh, carbon capture and storage, uh, where we're actually putting some of the, the carbon back in the ground. This could be around our energy sector as well. We can the technology that we develop, we can sell this around the world and that'll uh, really limit our, our transition costs. Does this then argue for uh, a different approach from, uh, from governments? And I've been having this conversation with colleagues lately and we point back to uh, Peter Lougheed in Alberta in the 70s and 80s and his uh, creation of Aostra, which was this vehicle to to spur development and investment in the oil sands. And, and it, it was government invested in it. Government, you know, the Alberta government invested heavily in it because they knew that in the long term it would, it would pay off, it would develop this sector, which now drives uh, oil and gas uh, in, in, the, in the country. And that kind of an approach, instead of sprinkling the, uh, you know, whatever government monies we have, our traditional approach here is to sprinkle it around so that everybody gets a little bit, just enough to make it worse for them. Instead of, instead of maybe we should pick winners. And, may, or, and if, if the odd one fails, better to have one fail and five or 10 succeed than have uh, one, win, one succeed and five or 10 fail. And that's, that's kind of the, what, the, what I'm hearing from, from, uh, from my colleagues who are we're in our discussions. What's your take on that? You know, I, I think we're still trying to figure out exactly how to support this, this investment. Uh, you know, one of the, the things we just did is we spoke with uh, um, industry across Canada and we asked them about their investment intentions and a lot of these different products. And, and what we found now is that uh, many Canadian companies are not investing in, in a lot of this technology right now. And so we're going to have to look for ways to, to support this if we're going to make these transitions. Uh, the longer that we wait, the harder it's going to be to achieve our goals. And, and like I mentioned so several times, like this investment is expensive. Like there's no, there's no way around it. And we're going to have to look for ways to support the, that investment, encourage companies to, to make these, these pieces. And I think, I think that is going to need more government support for, for this investment. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I, I interviewed, um, uh, I forget his last name. His, uh, his first name is, is, is sorry, his last name is Khan. Uh, 
I hope he doesn't listen to this and, and uh, I'll be embarrassed. But he wrote a book about uh, the digitalization of the, of the, of the oil patch in, in Canada and how Canada was behind other, oil and gas is behind other industries. Canada oil and gas industry is behind other oil and gas industries in other countries in adopting artificial intelligence and, and data, big data and analytics and, and all of those, those sorts of uh, digital technologies. And that drive is driving a big increase in productivity elsewhere. And it seems like once again, you know, we're bringing up the rear on this. And I wonder what other industries uh, have been slow to adopt, uh, you know, these kinds of digital technologies or other technologies that you just referenced. Yeah, absolutely. Canada has been a bit of a laggard in business investment. I think this is actually the, the weakest part of the Canadian economy in general. When you look at investment as a share of our economy, it, it lags well below a lot of our trading partners. And uh, this has been an ongoing challenge for, for a number of years. It was mentioned in the most recent federal budget uh, where we have to find ways to encourage, encourage companies to, to invest. Um, and, and that you know, ties to a lot of this investment that we're gonna have to find for, for the oil or for the uh, hitting our, our Paris commitments. And I, I think when we're, we're looking at how to support these, we're gonna have to get uh, much more government support and look for innovative ways to encourage these companies to make these commitments. Now, I'm not going to ask you to comment on this because you might get in trouble with uh, with your with your colleagues at Deloitte. But I've I've got uh, you know uh, those folks of mine who are left of center, uh, who are energy media readers, telling me all the time what we need. This is an example where public ownership is appropriate. That the lack, the low levels of investment are essentially a market failure. It's related to the structure the small open nature of Canada's economy. And at a time like this, where time is of the essence and we, there's no time to, to lose and we need to get capital to invest in these new industries, it's time for the federal government to create crown corporations that do direct investment to take equity, provincial governments to, to uh, create crown corporations to take in, in equity in key sectors, partnership with private companies most likely. And is that a potential solution? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I think companies are being pretty rational when we speak to them. You know, they're unconvinced that, you know, some of these policies will survive a change in government. And I, I think that's, that's one of the, the things the government has to solve. I convince these companies that, uh, you know, the carbon tax, for example, is, is here to stay, that, that these changes will survive a, a change in government. And then we'll see more of this investment is the sort of the business case uh, around how these companies can, can make money off this investment becomes clearer. But I, I, I think companies are the best place to oversee this, this type of investment. They know their industry is the best. Um, we just got to look for ways to, to make clear that the business case is there to make these, these type of investments. Fair comment. That's a, essentially, I thought the argument I thought you were going to make. Uh, Okay, so then what that argues is the fact that Canada, both at the provincial level and the federal level, has not done a good job of drafting policy and, regula and, and a regulatory regime to support the policies. And that's one thing that, I mean, the, the federal government, the Trudeau government, has a plethora, uh, I don't think Canadians understand how much policy 
uh, and regulation has been implemented to deal with climate change and, and, and energy uh, in the last six years. But there's also criticism, not all of it has been well designed and well thought out. Uh, so is, is, is that the argument then basically that we need to, to do it a little better with these, we need to fine tune these policies uh, so that we, so that frees up, uh, gives investors the confidence then to invest where they, we need them to? Yeah, you're absolutely right that the government's come out with a number of policies, uh, you know, to support this investment, you know, chief among them, the carbon tax, uh, output based pricing, uh, you know, which people maybe understand a little bit less. Um, and then also the, the sort of move to take account of more ESG in, in, in investment decisions. And I think as, as we sort of move forward, uh, you know, we've got to make it, uh, you know, make these policies clearer. Um, which I think we're going to see over the next the next year, and uh, you know continue to, I guess to make these policies clear and, and convince companies that these policies are here to stay if we're going to see uh, ongoing investment by these companies. So Matthew, if we're going to wrap up this conversation, I, I think this gets back to and we've used we've talked a lot about Canada here because this is a a, a, a situation a scenario that both of us are familiar with. Uh, so it's easy to draw examples uh, to illustrate the what the points that are made in the in the turning point uh, report. Uh, but it seems like the the lesson to draw here is the report says we need to change our mindset. We need to mobilize capital. We need to get investing in these clean energy, you know, these new technologies that are going to lower emissions and lead to a, a cleaner, more prosperous future. If you don't, you're going to suffer consequences. You're going to see a drop in in maybe quality of of uh, uh, quality of life, uh, maybe you know the number of jobs that that an economy like uh, the Canadian economy would create, and the types of jobs instead of being you know high uh, high income professional technical scientific jobs, maybe those aren't the jobs you get. Uh, is that a fair summary? Yeah, you know I think this this report and, and this analysis shows like yes. Uh, these transition costs are going to be expensive. There's no doubt, but there's no free lunch. You know, if we don't make these transition costs and we don't make these investments, the global economy is going to be substantially weaker uh, by 2070 than it is if we do make these adjustments. And so I think this, this work is sort of one of the first that actually builds that case that the, the investments more than pay for themselves in the long run. Like it may take a number of years, but in the long run, uh, which is what we're talking about here, uh, these investments more than, than pay for themselves. Well, Matthew, thank you very much for, uh, for appearing on the show and really appreciate your insights. Uh, thank you for having me.